Hello and welcome to the Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson. And if you are a dad who wants more tools for your fathering toolbox, then you are going to love today's show because you are definitely going to be filling that box up with tools from my guest today. Well, before we get started, I love to review the template that guides the conversation every single week, which is on your mark, get set, go. I invite you as dads to envision yourselves standing side by side each other, ready to run your fathering race this week. And I'm your coach on the sidelines saying to you, on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic or the theme. Get set as I'm filling that in with stories and stats. And go is always your practical action step so that you can put your love for your daughters and your sons into action this week week. Well, today I have a guest coach who is joining me who I'm telling you, he is one of the busiest men I know. And let me tell you, he is in high demand as a speaker and as a mentor, and yet he has graciously made time to be here today. And I'm beyond thankful for his gift of gracing us with his wisdom. Pastor Keith Jenkins is actually one of my pastors at my church, and I can attest to the fact that he walks his talk because I've seen him up close and personal. And I want to first say that I have great respect for the man that he is, the leader that he is, the husband that he is. I mean, he's been married to Coco for 32 years. Come on, somebody. He's been living this out. And the father that he is to two daughters and a son And I have one more piece of information to give you is he is an amazing grandfather to his little Lala who has stolen this Papa's heart. Am I right? Yeah, come on. Absolutely. Yep. And one thing that you will love about Keith today that you're going to see and hear is that he loves big, he loves bold, and he loves well. Well, Pastor Keith's passion is to build bridges between cultures and ethnicities and between generations. He grew up in Baltimore and started living in the inner city to later become a U.S. Marine for a decade and then a basketball and a football chaplain for the University of Oregon. And he's been a pastor for over 25 years, all the way from Oregon to L.A. and back. I'm so excited to have him here. Welcome, Pastor Keith Jenkins. It's good to be here, Michelle. Finally, (laughs) Good to see you, too. Well, on your mark today, I'm calling this What's Up with Men and Anger? Hmm. What's up with men in anger? Because I've really found that this is an under-talked about topic, especially right in Christian circles yeah. and in the church. And so you are a man that has walked this, and so you're going to be opening up a little bit of your story today. And I just wanted to start by saying why I invited you here. <laughs> I heard you in a sermon talk and admit, I should really say, talk about and admit your anger issues. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't heard, I can't almost think of a pastor that I've ever heard get up in front of his congregation and admit, I have really struggled with this. And so that's why I wanted you to open up about that today. Mm-hmm. I think back through the years about how many times I've heard counseling clients, both men and women, talk about how their dad's anger has negatively impacted their lives. I mean, obviously, yeah. but that they're still stuck in living in places where their dad's voice is in their head now. I think of dads I lead in the ABBA project that have opened up about their own anger and been honest about the devastating effects in their own life. And so I think today to be able to invite you here to talk about this, I mean, you you got a heavy mantle today, my friend, (laughs) to to address this topic. You know, have you found that this is talked a lot about in men's circles? I don't think that we talk about it enough, um, but definitely the effects, the negative effects families living in 
a toxic environment held hostage right. by rage and anger. And um, and I can just remember as a little guy being afraid of my dad. And he had PTSD from two tours in oh. Vietnam. So his volatility came from another place. But it was anger nonetheless. And it was frightful. It was fearful for me as a mm-hmm. young kid. And so when you grow up in that environment where you're intimidated and and you don't know if you can even make noise in the house, that type of mm. thing, because of his violence would just erupt and his anger would erupt. Um, it, it creates, it sets up a paradigm in you emotionally that you have to live out the rest of your life. Thank and God I, for Christ. I was going to say, and thank God for healing. Yes. You know, that, that we don't have to stay stuck in those places. Absolutely. And I think you and I are both living proof of that because, again, anger is an issue I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a firstborn. I'm a lion otter and I want to get her done. And when it doesn't happen, but a lot of it's directed inward. And I think there's a lot of men living with inward cycles of anger and they don't know either how to get help. They don't know where to go to get help. So today we're going to bring it to them. Let's do it. Okay. Well, how about if I typed out what you said in your sermon? Because oh, it's so My pow- words from a sermon now <laughs> coming back on me. Okay. So how about if, if you read what you said that day in the sermon that okay. so impacted me? Okay, so it seems that I said (laughs) there were a couple things that held me. Uh, I could go from zero to 90 really quick. I get angry and snap off real fast. Even now, I have to monitor it. And what that was about was a well of pain in my life. It wasn't that I was mad. It was that I would not be vulnerable enough to allow the Lord to deal with the pain of my past. It was just easier to be aggressive and to keep people away from me rather than to allow him to come into an area of my heart and lead me out in an exodus that would bring restoration to my soul. Whoa. Very true. Very true. Very good. I would love if you could just share a little more of your story going back. Like, how did you learn how to do emotion? Let's call it that in your family of origin. What did you learn in your home about anger? I think the best thing would be be said is what my family of origin taught me about emotion is not to deal with them to repress them. Mm. And normally, because in our environment, you couldn't be vulnerable. So you couldn't express weakness or uncertainty or confusion because that would be you. Somebody would gain an advantage on you. So what was permitted was to be, and what you did to keep people at bay, to keep them away from you was aggression, um, outward aggression, harsh words, harsh tones, and to keep people at bay. So that was what was practiced. I mean, the volume level was loud in the house, so people didn't talk in, in soft, sweet, loving mm. terms. Primarily, there was a lot of um, volatility growing up. So even as a little guy, like how young did you have to know everything? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that I can remember as to when I became aware, but that's the culture. You know, it was an African-American family in the late 60s and 70s. And so there was a lot of angst in the home anyway from cultural currents that were flowing um, but at the same time, it was a broken, fragmented um, family. The men in the family were promiscuous. The women were angry and hurt. So it just creates this cauldron uh-huh. of negative emotions and toxicity in almost every relationship. Yeah. So you mentioned that your dad had PTSD from two tours. Mm-hmm. What was your relationship like with your dad? Yeah. So when he came home, I, I have pictures 
of him doting on me. I have pictures of him at at Christmas and doing the dad thing. And so it looked like it started out pretty good from what I could see image wise. But then, you know, there there was the leakage of violence and intimidation and menacing with my mom. And I think at some point he was physically abusive to her. He was physically abusive to me later um, under under what he thought was discipline, Mm. which was really harsh and cruel uh, in a lot of senses. And that scarred me in a way. And so uh, you know, I can remember my father being um, able to be I could approach him if he was medicated. So then if he had if he had drank wine or or had drugs, he was very easy to be with. And then if he wasn't, it was a mixed bag. It was 50 50 and he could be set off at a moment's notice. Um, it could be as simple as us playing too loud in the house. My brother, my stepbrother and stepsister. Um, it could be any of those things that would just set him off. And so you grow up on edge around him. I don't know that I could say that I could just crawl up in his lap, mm-hmm. you know, like my kids have been able to do with me, just crawl up at any time. In fact, too much, like go sit down somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't know that I could approach him like that. I was afraid of him. Uh huh. Yeah. So talk about the inner place inside, like inner world. What was it like then to grow up like that? On the inside of you with that kind of volatility and never knowing what would set your dad off. Yes. So I think at a certain point you start thinking, is he mad at me? Is there something that I'm doing? So then you take on the role of let me let me try to let me try to create peace. Let me try to create an environment where nothing is wrong. And you start trying to perform to keep you know, the balance in the house, do things perfectly, do things perfectly. And I became a bit of a perfectionist overachiever in my life and uh, really driven at a certain point and didn't realize until later in my life that it was stemming from this environment that I wasn't necessarily aimed the right way, that my emotions were fractured from living around Uh all of this volatility. So was your dad in your life always or did your parents divorce? Right. So they divorced. Um, I had to be I I can remember maybe five or so. Um, They divorced. She went one way. He went another. And I landed with my grandparents and we played ping pong parenting back and forth between my mom, my dad, my grandparents for a series of years. And I can remember even a uh, custody battle where we were there. And um, we were in the courtroom and I kept looking over my shoulder for my dad to come into the room and he never came. And it's sort of in my mind. I know now it's set up in my mind that I wasn't worth fighting for him, uh-huh. that he didn't come and fight for me in that battle for custody. And and so it was just that he lived maybe 30 minutes from me, um, but we had a sporadic relationship. I'd see him some weekends, sometime in the summer, but but we weren't really intimate or connected. I can't remember any of my sporting events or any of those things where he came to throughout my whole career in high school, middle school, high school, all the way through. So, yeah, it was just a bit of estrangement. Okay. So have you ever heard it said that like mad and sad are two sides of the same coin? Hmm. I haven't heard that said, no. So it's kind of like the anger oftentimes is what maybe is expressed, but under it is sadness and hurt. Yeah. And when you're talking about the absence of your dad giving you attention and affirmation and showing up. It makes me wonder if the hurt under the hurt and the sadness, yeah. there was the anger that maybe you weren't fully aware of at the time. Yeah, I've heard what, what I have heard expressed is that anger is a secondary emotion mm-hmm. um, because it, especially for males. And I, I can only, you know, I want to generalize, but I can only speak from my experience. But what I found with men and men like me is that we're permitted to sh- we're permitted a few emotions. Not the whole range of emotions, but we're permitted a few, primarily anger and aggression. We can be aggressive. We can be angry, but we can't be vulnerable. We can't be confused. We can't cry. In fact, I can remember being told 
not to cry as a, really? as a child, like as a young man. I can remember by who by by other men in, in your family, in my family, in okay. my family system. And uh, it wasn't until I took Keith Jr. back home and, and he started crying. He was five and I was talking to him and Keith was an eager to please child. So as I'm talking to him in just this tone, he starts crying and I'm saying to him, hey, don't cry. We're just I'm just talking to you. He was so sensitive Aww. and so precious. So he's just crying. And my grandmother was off in the corner and she's like, he's just like you were. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What are, wow, what are you that talking is about? Because I don't cry easy. I'm really a tough guy. Wait, wait, wait. It was the first moment that I had an inkling that I was bent in a way yes. because of what I experienced as a child. Keith Jr. was the best version to look back uh -huh. and to see what I was supposed to be like was to look at my son. Wow, such tenderness. Absolutely. And sensitivity. Absolutely. Right. And so we're going to even be talking more about your story and how you got from there to here yeah. and back to there and back to here. <laughs> so this might sound like a funny question, Keith, but... Are there any ways that your anger has served you well? Well, I mean, let's just let's just face it. If you're going to be a guy and you're going to play sports, you're going to be aggressive. You're going to military. Try to military. <laughs> I was in. I mean, I've been wearing a uniform since I was in Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, ROTC, Marine Corps for ten years. Sports. So yeah, aggression serves you well. Anger directed a certain way against your opponent mm -hmm. serves you really well. And then as a Marine, you get applauded. And promoted for being fierce and a warrior and that type of thing. So, yeah, it, it has served me well. But I also read a book that, that was a really important book in my life that said, what got you here won't get you there. Hmm. And, and so then comes the woman in my life <laughs> who doesn't really function well with only two expressions, anger and aggression. She didn't. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole plethora of emotions that I needed to unpack and the complexity of being in that relationship I think became the turning point to figure out, bro, you gotta, you need a bigger toolbox. Okay, well, that's a great segue into what I was going to ask you next is what are the negative implications yeah. where anger hasn't served you well? I mean, in all honesty, Michelle, uh -huh. I, I, I almost destroyed our marriage. Um, I punched holes in the walls. I broke things that I paid for. Had to repay. Had to had mm. to <laughs> replaster walls. I mean, I was I was a violent. I wasn't physically abusive to Coco, but I was violent. I could go from zero to ninety in our home uh -huh. over the most ridiculous things. Um, did not have the verbal uh, skills to be able to communicate with her. Felt the really pinned down sometimes in arguments. So I would power up yeah. and dominate and that type of thing and just try to intimidate her. Hmm. And um, my wife is a feisty, independent, strong, know who she is woman. Mm -hmm. And she would not tolerate it. And I thank God for it yes. because it confronted me in a way that, that forced me to start looking internally at some things. Oh, that is so powerful. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Pastor Keith Jenkins today, and the title of our conversation is What's Up With Men and Anger? So how about if now I ask you to go back to a quote that you put in that original thing that you read from your sermon where you said, I had to get honest about the well of pain in my life. That, that statement just jumped out at me. I just wonder if you could unpack that a little bit yeah. more and say, what did you get in touch with? Yeah. So when, when I was first told that anger is a secondary emotion and it's easy for men to reach for, it's like a go-to emotion. Like I can go to anger if I can't go anywhere else. And the guy said, really what it is, is it's you being afraid to be vulnerable. 
And I started reading authors like Brene Brown, of mm-hmm. Vulnerability and Authentic Self. And, you know, I started reading female authors <laughs> to try to figure out. Because there was no male authors. It's like, okay, Tender Warrior. This, like, awesome. Yeah, I've been a warrior. That's not working for me. So, like, I need something else. The tender part. And so hearing her talk about showing, she used metaphors in her writing that helped me. She talked about showing up in an arena which was very masculine for Uh me, and I got it. Okay, I can be in an arena, and she said, it's okay to show up and be your authentic self. And I don't know that I had ever been my authentic self since I locked that away, since that person was wounded, rejected, abandoned. All the way back to five. All the way back to five. So then, who am I? So that began a journey backward in my life to really look at some events and traumas um, that I think became the fuel for the anger in my life. And really what it is, is nobody's listening to me. Nobody's loving me. Nobody's caring for me in the way that I would need it. And that turned that, that cry in my life Mm -hmm. turned to anger after a while. I, that that's what I've come to deduce. Okay. So you talked about the pain in your life. Okay. Let's be straight up honest. How many times have you heard a pastor or even at men's conferences, a guy get up and talk about the pain in his life yeah. and really open up. I think sometimes we talk about the actions that come from the pain, whether it's pornography or addictions or alcohol yeah. or, but getting underneath it. I mean, you're, you're talking my language here. Yeah. I mean, as a therapist, that's what I love is that God takes us back to the origin, right? Scripture yeah. talks about taking an ax to the roots. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and I agree with you. I've heard so many people say that anger is a secondary emotion, but I think, is it also a root? Yeah. You've also heard that phrase, a root of anger. I, I don't know that I've I heard anybody in that season in my life when I was going through the process, except for Bishop Jakes. So T.D. Jakes would get on his stage and literally it felt like he was unzipping his soul and talking about things like you could be a Christian and still have problems. And and I had never heard that because all of the Christians that I knew looked like they were having perfect lives in church. So I'm looking around church thinking I'm the only screw up here, right? Uh-huh. Of course. And then he got up and started talking about very real pains that people experience and their expressions. And so in the late 80s, I really clicked on and really locked into him, which I've patterned my ministry up. So I try to, in some way, like Jesus extended his hand and his wound to Thomas to help him believe. I think a lot of times we don't see examples of restoration. We don't Uh see examples of healing, nor do we have a pathway back. So then we just keep masking and medicating and moving forward until we end up destroying our lives in a lot of cases. Yeah, and all our relationships, the people around us that we love. Absolutely. So go back to then that piece about how did you let yourself and give yourself permission to feel the pain? Yeah. Because obviously, have you ever heard that quote that says what you don't feel can't heal? Yeah. So here you are, a masculine man. You had a model in your home of what toughness and masculinity look like. And now, did you have to learn to cry like a baby? I mean. Yeah. Two things. Um, The pain of looking at my effect on my wife. That's one pain that really, um, she was the first person I, I can say in my life that she loved me unconditionally and I knew it and I didn't want to lose her, but I was losing her uh-huh. and watching the effect of my anger, my dysfunction on her caused me to have the courage to delve into some other areas. And so I remember sitting with a counselor and, and Michelle, this is black people don't tell their business. <laughs> you understand? Men don't go, we don't go to counselors, but I went to a counselor, um, 
push. Thank the, you for admitting that. Yeah, can, can we? Would you tell men listening? Yeah, I mean, humble yourself. As, go even ask as a for pastor, help. when men come into my office, it's almost too late. They need a miracle by the time they get there because their wives have been pushing for help, dying, asphyxiating emotionally in the relationship, and then finally they come to a pastor. And then, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's 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 so far gone. Yeah, I know God can do miracles. I'm a miracle. I'm an exception. But it would be so much easier if we could start the process earlier Come before on. the damage is so, um, you know, so monumental in our relationships. And, and then having to go through such a long process of healing and recovery, not just us, but right. all of those connected to us, all the collateral damage in the relationship yeah. as well. But, but the counselor started talking to me. So this is when I first began to weep again, which there's a funny story about that with weeping and my daughters now, which... Okay, I, we're going to go there in yeah, a minute. I, I, anyway, <laughs> he, he's talking to me, and he's mapped, he's mapped my life. You know what I'm talking about. He's uh-huh. gone back, mapped yep. the trauma out, and he says to me while looking through his hand, he forms a zero with his hand. He says, so basically what I hear you saying is throughout your life, you've had no value. And he's just looking at me through his hand like I'm looking at you right now. And like I a could, little telescope. I could not uh-huh. stand. It, it aggravated me. And so I'm angry, and he says, yeah, so... Your grandmother passed you off to your mom and she passed you back to your dad. And so basically you had no value to anyone at that time. And he says it three or four times. And about the fifth time, I'm not angry anymore. The first tear comes out of my eyes and I start weeping and literally. I bet from the gut. Yes. Fell off the chair into the floor. Yeah. He let me stay there for a minute. And then he slid down next to me and said, but you've always had value with Jesus and he's given his life for you. And that was the moment and that was the pivot point for me to walk literally back from that place of no value, rejection, abandonment. All of those messages sent to me, peacekeeping, trying to keep the peace, no one showing up. Even when I graduated from boot camp, nobody from my family was there. All of these moments sort of have created layers and layers and layers of anger and scar tissue over my heart is what I was really, the anger was about covering me so that I would not feel that pain anymore and it was the beginning of feeling again and being okay with yeah it it, it was horrible uh-huh. it hurt um i, I had to left. feel it to yeah, heal i had it. to feel it to heal it yeah absolutely and what's the story then about weeping in your daughters well i mean so, <laughs> come on man <laughs> so you go back from not so being this tough guy don't cry nothing you know phase you tough lawn don right to now when i go to movies with my daughters I start weeping and they're not weeping. They're like, dad, come on, be quiet. Shh, be quiet. I'm on my row. It's like, it's a foregone conclusion. I just told you the grandbaby said my name the other day and I started crying and came back into the house. She's Papa, it was the first time she said it and Aww. it brought tears. So everything now evokes some sort of emotion and, and I'm not ashamed of it. I spent a lot of years um, walled in mm-hmm. uh, away from real authentic relationship and connection. I need love. Um, I I, th- I think our emotions are like um, lungs for our soul. We breathe in, we breathe out encouragement, yeah. love, affirmation. Yeah. And we need that in our lives. And for a long time, I didn't have it. Yeah. And um, I think my anger was, was the fruit of the roots of all of that pain. Does Ex- that make sense? Totally. And because we hurt within the context of relationship and we heal within the context of relationship, <laughs> yeah. would you have gotten to the pain had you not had someone there with you? Could you have read a book? Could you have done it on your own? No, no, no. Because I, I think, like I said before, um, my wife experiencing me 
it was a mirror. Like somebody said to me years ago that your wife is a mirror of your leadership. Like she reflects back to you what it is you've sown, the words you spoke, the care that you give to her. And and she was just broken. And that was the result of being married to me. Mm-hmm. And so that pain, her pain informed something in me to say, okay, you need to delve a little bit deeper because whatever you're doing is not working. Yeah. And and it's destructive. And and not to mention, Michelle, we had two small girls. Yeah. Um, and and, and I could see change. the future. Yeah. Yeah, I can you see could the see future. Yeah, that's better. powerful. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. I wish we had so much more time, but thank you for your vulnerability. My because pleasure. I believe I mean, that's even one of the chapters in my book. I call it lead with vulnerability. Mm. And it's like, how do we unpack that for men in a way that still honors their masculinity, but says being a fully authentic man of God, right? We're all Imago Dei. We're all made in the image of God is that we're connected emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, physically, and spiritually. We're not disconnected. Yeah, well, we haven't defined it that way. The way that you just define it, we have false images and false definitions yes. of what manhood and masculinity are. Right. So yeah, you're absolutely And right. you're helping to redefine that. Well, you know that I end every show with a ghost step, and there's no doubt men listening today who are saying, I'm stuck in an anger cycle. Mm-hmm. Where would you tell a man listening to start right now if he wants to take one step forward in addressing his anger? Where does he start? Yeah. You know, there's usually, I, I found that in every man's life, I think the Lord sometimes plants them there. They're little resources. They're people that don't have our story, that don't have our cultural journey, but they're just there. The guy that helped me is a 65 year, was a 65 year old white male from the suburbs. We had nothing in common. <laughs> and so I would say yeah. to any guy, look around your life right now. There's someone planted as a resource that's a little further in the journey ahead of you that would be a grace filled truth teller to you that would love you unconditionally and be there for you speaking in man language to help you get back to shut those doors to heal those wounds and then to have the future that you so desire and deserve step up to the plate and tell someone else what's really going on at least one other person one other person somebody should know and tell them what's really going on Absolutely. I mean, that's practical. So we're saying in the next seven days, in the next week, if you don't do it now, you're going to forget. Correct. If you could do it today, that'd be even better. Well, Pastor Keith Jenkins, thank you so much for being here today. We've been talking about what's up with men in anger. You've heard from his heart, his story, and I encourage you to take what he has said to heart. Dads, get out there and this week, tell one other person what's really going on under the surface without masking it with anger. Well, you know that you can always write me at Dr. Michelle at thedadwhisperer.com. You can go to my website at drmichellewatson.com where I have more free resources for you there. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer, signing off, encouraging you to make today a day where you intentionally and consistently invest in pursuing your daughter's heart. Go Dads! Go Dads!